Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing the pilot, the first episode of season one, which was written by Mark Schwann, directed by Brian Gordon, and originally aired on September 23rd, 2003. Always and Forever is spoiler-free, but if you are a longtime One Tree Hill fan or don't care about spoilers, stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion where we go wild and talk about foreshadowing and all the fun things. Somebody told me that this is a place where everything is better and everything's safe. The drama begins with two half-brothers, Lucas and Nathan Scott, in a small North Carolina town called Tree Hill. The brothers are both sons of Dan Scott. Dan left Lucas's mom, local cafe owner Karen Rowe, back in high school shortly after getting her pregnant, and then got another woman pregnant months later, giving us Nathan and his nipple ring. Nathan lives a privileged life with Dan and his mom, and is a star of the Tree Hill High basketball team. Meanwhile, Lucas's family struggles to make ends meet, but he finds solace playing basketball with his friends at the River Corps. One night, Nathan and some players from the basketball team steal a school bus to party it up, but they are caught, resulting in many players getting suspended for the whole season, while Nathan gets away with it. Now in need of new players, Whitey, the longtime Tree Hill basketball coach, decides to recruit Lucas. Nathan gets upset by this and, with his father's urging, challenges Lucas to a one-on-one basketball game. If Nathan wins, Lucas doesn't join the team, but if Lucas wins, Nathan has to leave the team. It's a close game, but Lucas wins in the final seconds. It also turns out that Lucas had changed the rules of the game. Even though Nathan lost, he can still remain on the team. Looks like these two brothers will have to learn to work together. We also need some other fascinating characters. Peyton, Nathan's edgy cheerleader girlfriend who seems to have serious chemistry with Lucas. Haley, Lucas's best friend and an employee at Karen's Cafe. And Keith, Dan's older brother and father figure to Lucas. First of all, you don't know me. Second of all, you don't know me. But you will know us soon, because I am your host, Caitlin Illinich. And I am your other host, Jeremy Rodriguez. So, Jeremy, how did you start watching One Tree Hill? Well, way back in the day, my best friend at the time was obsessed with the show, and she kept begging me to watch it. I was resistant at first. But she had me borrow the first season on DVD. This is way back in the day before you could binge stuff on Netflix, kids. And I ended up loving it. I ended up buying season two on my own, with my own money. I don't even know how I made money back when I was 14. <laughs> like season two even more. And then season three was actually the first season I watched live. And I stayed with the show for the entire run beginning then. Wow. I didn't realize that season three was when you first started to watch it live. Yeah, season three, episode one was the first. I mean, I watched it from the very beginning, but season three, episode one was the first episode I watched live, and I remember that vividly. Okay, so you d- you did watch it from the very beginning then, on DVD? Yes, I okay. did. Okay. And what about you, Caitlin? Tell me, how did you start watching One Tree Hill? <laughs> I don't know, Jeremy. There was this person on the school bus who just kept nagging me and nagging me. <laughs> On a daily basis, I wonder who that was. He sounds like a cool person. (laughs) What can I say? So, as a matter of fact, it was you, Jeremy, who (laughs) nagged me forever. I literally have this image of you. So, we were obviously both on the same school bus. But that that was freshman year of high school, wasn't it? It was, yes, freshman year of high school. Okay. So, this would have been 2005 and 2006. Yes. You and can calculate our ages there, folks. You nagged me, I think, for months, honestly. It, it <laughs> must have just been months, because I remember the first episode that I actually watched was season three, episode 18. This won't give anything away. They're at a cabin. Oh, that's your first episode? I believe so. That's a weird episode to yes. jump in on. You just nagged me, so I finally just... <laughs> Gave in and watched it one night just so I could report back to you the next morning. And I guess you liked it because you stuck with it. For- <laughs> yes. So 
once I watched that, I liked it enough to try it again. And then by the time I watched the season three finale, I was fully hooked. <laughs> long, long time One Tree Hill fans, you know what I'm talking about. You can't watch the season three finale and not be hooked. So from then on, I watched it live. I also had my best friend nagging me to watch it too, because she watched it a little bit before me. So I had you and I had my best friend <laughs> ask me to watch it. So finally I did, and then I was hooked. And aren't you glad that you did? Yes, very much so. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that, though, about how uh, you started watching at the end of season three and then you were watching it live. Because I feel like the TV landscape has changed so much. Because I feel like nowadays all of us are like, oh, there's no way I have to watch the show from ep- season one, episode one, or else I can't watch it. And, like, I feel like back then yeah. you were just like, oh, let me just jump in. So it's kind of weird that we changed. <laughs> There was no feasible way to do that unless you bought the DVDs. Exactly, so, yeah. once I had watched, I guess, all of season three, then I think I went back and watched, you know, from the beginning. Wow. But. And now we're recording a podcast. <laughs> Finally, all these years later, <laughs> our teenage our teenage selves would be freaking out. <laughs> We've been friends since kindergarten. Yes. Did you ever think we'd be doing this at one point? No, I had never (laughs) imagined. (laughs) I'm excited for this wild ride. I am very excited, too. This is like a full, full full-on passion project. And Mm. I feel like I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else, because... Aw, You were the one who got me into it! Ditto! It only makes sense. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about some of the things we are going to be discussing on this podcast. Since One Tree Hill ended, we learned a lot of very problematic things, specifically about the series creator and showrunner. He created a very toxic um, work environment, unhealthy specifically for the women who worked on the show, both in the cast and crew. And I'm not going to go into the details about that. You can literally Google his name and Variety. It was actually in Variety where a lot of the cast members came clean about what was going on there. It was a very ugly situation everybody had to deal with. For me personally, I haven't watched One Tree Hill since these stories came up, but upon rewatching it during this podcast, I'm noticing uh, more problematic elements about the show. A lot of it because I'm more educated now than I was way back in 2003. And a lot of it is because I know more about like what the people dealt with behind the scenes. So it's causing me to be a little bit more critical about the writing behind the show. And you can speak on your behalf too as well. And let me just say this. If media is problematic, you can still love it, as long as you're constantly critical of its problematic elements. Because I feel like if you're not, like, you know, at least aware of the of the more problematic elements, you're part of the problem. And then I know that's using problem a lot in one sentence, but I think you get, you get my point there. I, I like what you said. This is a show that we grew up with. It's always going to have a special place in my heart for that reason and that reason alone. But... Anytime you're looking back at a show that aired, this was almost 20 years ago. We're approaching God. 20 years. <laughs> um, anything that you're re-watching after that amount of time, there's going to be problematic elements. Times change. And I think being critical of what they did well and also what they did wrong is important. Yes. And we also have to keep in mind, too, that, yeah, like, the creator and showrunner of the show was an absolute shithead. There were still a lot of people behind the scenes who did amazing work, particularly the actors, and there's also other writers and directors and everybody who was behind the show. What I'm saying is that we're going to choose to lift up those particular individuals who made the show what it was. I agree. I think we can focus on a lot of the the good things, and the music... I can't wait to dissect that part of the show oh. because it's just, it's fantastic. And I also want to look at the literary references, specifically more so in the earlier seasons. That's something that I'm really excited about looking at more closely after all this time. Yeah, because now you're like a literary scholar right now, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I feel like more sad than when you originally watched it. Yeah, I was an English teacher, so I love the literary references. I'm excited. And I'm just obsessed with pop culture trivia in general, so I'm going to be bringing a lot of that to the table as well. I've watched the audio commentaries for One Sherry Hill several times at this point, (laughs) so we're going to have fun with this podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. I am very, very excited. 
And bottom line is, we will always and forever love this show. Absolutely. I have to say, one of my favorite things about the pilot is how it starts. I love the opening scenes. It was so well done how they paired two different basketball courts, one with one brother, Lucas, and the other, uh, Nathan. One is in a gym, one is at the river court. And pairing those two scenes together, I think really just sums up what the show's about from the very first few seconds. And I feel like you also get to establish how different the characters are in that regard. Because you see Lucas. Lucas is having so much fun just playing, whereas Nathan's playing a little bit more competitively. And then you also see his father, Dan, is, you know, just sort of breathing out his neck. And he's a little bit more, he thinks he's hot shit at the end of the day on the basketball court. So you're automatically establishing that these two characters are very different. I I think that's an excellent point. And these two locations, the gym... And the River Corps are, are major locations throughout the show. And um, also a part of this montage, Nathan and the basketball players from the team steal a school bus. Do you remember our glory days in high school, Caitlin, when we used to steal school buses? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, we did that every weekend. I'm surprised we never got caught. <laughs> um, How ridiculous. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? It's so unrealistic. How could this ever happen? I'm thinking back to our high school specifically, too. Our high school had security guards, like, in every hallway, so, so like, I don't get it, but... I don't get it either. Whatever. Suspend your disbelief a little bit, kids. Yep. But yeah, I really like that scene, and that's pretty much, like, what sets up the conflict for the rest of the episode. The players end up getting caught by the police, and essentially all of the entire basketball team, with the exception of a certain few... Nathan included, and his best friend Tim, they were not suspended, even though they were part of the whole entire ordeal. And now Whitey has to try to find some new replacement players. Nathan was the one driving the school bus, and he gets away with it. So it also shows you how Dan, I think Dan has something to do with this also. Because you even see the cops, too. The cops are like, you know, they talk to Nathan yeah. and say, I don't know how Tim has any power. I don't know, like, what Tim's parents are, what they do or anything like that. But you even see the cop tell Nathan, like, go ahead. You're scot-free. Mm-hmm. Scot-free. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Clever. <laughs> no <Clever>. pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and to go back to where they're caught, just a moment, the school bus is about to run into a train, and it stops in time, and that's how they're caught. But also, in that same scene, it kind of switches back and forth, Peyton almost runs into Lucas. Literally almost collides into him. So, I feel like that's representing something. These two characters suddenly are introduced to each other, and as we see throughout the rest of the episode, there's definitely something between them. I don't know what yet, but there's some kind of chemistry. Yeah, and uh, you're talking about Lucas and Peyton. Yes. I was, um, yeah, I was gonna say, like, as far as, like, the cinematography is concerned, how the two scenes are cut together, we're supposed to, like, realize that there is some type of relation between Nathan and Lucas. Not necessarily, like, you know, a a familiar relationship, which is revealed, but they relate to each other in some way, and that's just a very subtle way of letting us know that. Yeah, that too. So we end up learning that Nathan and Lucas are half-brothers, and, um... What happens later on, and I feel like this further illustrates, like, the um, the differences between the two brothers. Whitey comes into the library. The way the scene is blocked, I think, is just absolutely beautiful. You see, Nathan is sitting at a table, like, right in front. And then, you know, he has Peyton and Tim with him. And his friends are all engaged with him. Like, you can tell, like, Nathan is the center of attention. Not only because, like, you know, a bunch of people are surrounding him, but also because he's at the front of the screen as we're viewing. And then, meanwhile, we see Lucas all the way in the back of the library. He doesn't really have friends surrounding him. There are people sitting with him, but they're not really engaged, like, directly with him. So we automatically know from that scene that Nathan is basically the center of attention. He's the popular kid in high school. And Lucas is the outsider, the attractive, white, straight, male outsider, (laughs) which that's a whole other thing to unpack. But even when Whitey says, Scott, Nathan automatically assumes that Whitey's talking to him. And Lucas is like, wait, what? Me? So yeah, the reason why Whitey called out Lucas is because previously he had talked to Keith about potentially bringing Lucas onto the team and Keith 
said that Lucas is such a good player and that he really, why you should give him a chance and see his talent on the river court. And that relationship already between Whitey and Keith was very warm. They clearly were friends. And I think that's interesting to pair then that relationship with Whitey and Dan, mm-hmm. which you see earlier in that they're pretty much yelling at each other. And in this episode, we know that Keith and Dan are brothers, but clearly Whitey has history with both of these characters, but interacts with them a lot differently. There's a tension between Whitey and Dan versus Whitey and Keith. It feels like a friendship. Yeah, there's definitely a different like relationship dynamic between the two of them. To also touch on the scene between Whitey and Keith, I feel like so much backstory is established in that scene. This is our first scene with Keith, too. And you can see he's a little bit more disheveled than Dan. Dan's a little bit more polished. Whitey immediately says, like, I ran into your little brother. So you're automatically now, okay, they're, they're brothers right there. And um, Keith points out that his nephew, Lucas, plays basketball. And then Whitey refers to Lucas as, oh, Dan's other son. And then that's when Keith is like, actually, it's Karen's son. So that automatically establishes right there that even though Keith is Dan's brother, he's not necessarily loyal to Dan, but he actually is loyal to Karen and Lucas. And that just like little exchange of dialogue, you learn so much. And I just love how that scene sets up their relationship and the whole dynamic. I think that says a lot about the pilot as a whole, too. I don't think I ever fully appreciated the pilot and how well it really does set up the backstory of all these characters and the relationships and the dynamics between all these characters. Yeah, me too. Because when you think about it, so the if you think about the overall plot of the pilot, not much really happens either. Yeah. But it's all backstory. And I feel like the pilot just does a great job of convincing me, at least, to stick around because I wanted to, even though there wasn't much... Um, plot-heavy stuff going on in this one. I was convinced. I'm like, I wanted to stick around. I wanted to spend more time with these characters because I'm curious to find out more. The dynamics are really interesting. And I think it's a really good story that these are two half-brothers of the same age, pretty much. And they have totally different lives, but they've lived in the same town their whole lives. It's a good concept. It really is. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how um, their lives are different. Karen and Lucas... It seems as though they have this really great relationship. And I don't think we can really say that about Dan and Nathan. And if we're talking about different parents and children relationships. But Karen and Lucas, clearly there have been struggles. They've hinted towards that in the pilot. But they seem to have a good life together. It illustrates the difference between like the haves and have nots too. Even though Nathan has everything privilege, he really doesn't have a supportive family atmosphere when it comes to his father at the very least. So there's one scene a little bit later on in the episode where Karen catches Lucas trying on the jersey for the Ravens basketball team. And um, he puts it on. Karen's a little bit triggered by seeing him wear it because she's thinking about her own past because she's thinking about how you know, Dan used to be the star basketball player back in the day, and Dan left her. So Karen was just sort of triggered by seeing her son wear that basketball jersey. But then she ends up coming around, and then she tells Lucas, like, my past is not your future. So it's just giving him the freedom to do, like, whatever he wants. So that scene happens, and then we immediately cut to there is Dan and Nathan. They're working out in the gym together, and Dan keeps, like, you know, pushing Nathan, and Dan is like, you know, he pushes Nathan down to, like, keep uh, bench pressing and everything like that. And that's automatically showing us right there by having these two seeds back to back. Like, Karen's past is not Lucas's future, but I think feel like Dan wants his past to be Nathan's future. Or at least Dan wants um Dan wants Nathan to do better than he did in that regard. Yeah, and at the very end of the episode, I know we'll we'll get to that later, but at the very end, Nathan says to his dad that your dreams are still safe. I think that really shows the pressure that's on Nathan to almost fulfill the dreams that his father wasn't able to fulfill. Yeah, and Nathan says, your dreams are safe. What about Nathan's dreams? Like, what are Nathan's dreams? So, it's very clear there that Nathan's not choosing to live this life, whereas Karen gave Lucas the choice to play basketball Mm -hmm. and do whatever he wanted with his life. I never really thought of them paired together like that. That really is fantastic job of showing the differences between these two characters. So I also like how we meet Lucas's family in the form of Karen, 
but also the cafe almost feels like a home. And we meet Haley, Lucas's best friend. And she feels like a family member or another kind of support system for Lucas. I love her introduction where she's like, she's looking at a magazine like casually, like not paying attention to Lucas. She's like, oh, the magazine pages are sticky again, you little perv. Oh, hey, Luke. Have you been reading that? Haley is super <laughs> funny in the pilot. And I feel like they try to make her into the quirky best friend in the pilot. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. I feel like as the series develops, though, she doesn't really develop into that. But I feel like the you know the writers didn't really know Haley. I feel like Bethany Joy Lenz didn't really know Haley at that point either. So Haley's still a great character, like, as the series continues. But I feel like in this pilot, she's the quirky best friend. <laughs> you see her much differently in the pilot than you do Mm -hmm. in the rest of the series. And honestly, that really isn't a spoiler at all. Yeah, it's not. She's still a delightful character regardless. It's just like, I feel like they really played into the quirky aspect in episode one. And I I have to say, I have to mention this real quick. I love the reference to to Dawson's Creek. (laughs) They're in the cafe, they're eating, and she makes a Joey, I can't remember exactly what she said, but a Joey loves Dawson reference. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just... She was trying to say that, like, she's not Joey, she -hmm. doesn't love Lucas in that way, type thing. Yeah. Like, that would be a total (laughs) Joey loves Dawson scenario or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, she she said something like, that would be a total Joey loves Dawson scenario, that would totally freak me out. So, (laughs) So and I feel like that's automatically established, because Dawson's Creek actually ended a few months before um, the pilot aired. It was filmed in Wilmington. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's... Where One Tree Hill was also filmed. Yep. And I feel like that's automatically established. Like, okay, this is not a, you know, best friends fall in love with each other, fall in love with each other type scenario. Yeah, I, th- I think so. They make it clear throughout the rest of the pilot. There are a few other references, I think, that this is pretty platonic. Mm-hmm. And e- even later when she takes him up to the golf course on top of the roof, she just kind of emphasizes that he's a good guy. But not in a way that I think you're supposed to believe that she likes him. Yeah, like, you automatically get a platonic mm-hmm. energy. And I like that, too, because I feel like there are there are so few, like, um, male-female, like, best-friend relationships, especially back then. I feel like back then it was definitely like, okay, like, we have two heterosexual people here. They obviously have to date. There's no other way around it. <laughs> you know? So Yeah, you never see that. You really don't. So it is a bit refreshing that... Hopefully that's what this will end up being. Yeah. And, and there's also like sort of like a brother-sister dynamic between the two of them too, because Karen invites Haley like, oh, do you want to stay for dinner? And then Haley's like, this is as she's filling up a bowl. She's like, yes, yes, I would love to. <laughs> and then Karen's like, so honey, how was your day? She's talking to Lucas. And then <laughs> Haley jumps in. She's like, oh, fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> so you automatically know, like, she's part of the family. It's so adorable to say. Like, I, I absolutely love Bethany Charles. I, I love that scene, because then they show uh, Lucas the book, Julius Caesar. I don't know. There's something so warm about that scene. Yeah, it's just like, oh, he has a good family out environment. Good for him. And then Karen's quote, there's a tide in the affairs of men, or something like that. Oh, is that quote supposed to be saying that there is a tide in the affairs of men in this episode? Maybe. Oh, <laughs> Oh, wait, I have um, one fun fact. Do you want a fun fact? Yes, I want a fun fact. So, Haley was not originally in the pilot. Lucas was supposed to have a different sidekick, and the sidekick's name was Regan. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they ended up they ended up recasting her just because, I guess, like, and I didn't, like, read too much into, like, you know, what the character was supposed to be or anything like that, but... I feel like they wanted Haley to bring some sort of, like, lighthearted energy, because, as you can see, like, Haley is such a contrast to everybody else in that episode. She's, like, this warm presence, where everybody else is, like, they're a little bit broody, I would say. Definitely broody. Speaking of broody... Peyton and Nathan. Oh. My. Gosh. Do not like them together at all. Nathan is an absolute jerk. Peyton is clearly unhappy. She's just sitting in front of her computer, doing her podcast stuff or whatever. <laughs> what was she doing? Okay, she was like doing some type of Photoshop deal think, where- And I think that was Mark Schwann. Did yeah, you, ew. Did you realize that? 
Yeah, I did notice that. I noticed that the audio commentary, and I'm just like, okay, like, talk about a man with an ego here. Ugh. So, yeah, she was just playing on her computer, and he comes in, and he wants to go out with the guys. She doesn't want to be with the guys. She clearly feels like she's treated, she's not treated well. Mm-hmm. And I'm really questioning in that scene why they're together. They both seem to be miserable. Yeah, and he's, he was just like an absolute jerk. He says, oh, like, I don't have other options. And then you see Peyton, like, you know, sort of, like, withdraw a little bit. And then that's what Nathan apologizes, which, I mean, that's how um a lot of abusive relationships work, where, you know, it's not necessarily always the guy, but in this case, it is the guy. The guy apologizes, and the woman forgives him. It's a cycle. And they clearly have been through this time and time again. Yeah, so it's an interesting dynamic as far as that's concerned. We're, I don't think we're supposed to like them together at this point. We'll see how that develops. In contrast, we get Peyton and Lucas. There's some obvious chemistry, and I'm really digging it. Let me tell you a background detail about that. Okay. That scene where he's towing her car. When my best friend and I took a One Tree Hill road trip back in 2011, the first one we did, we went- The first one. As you can see, Caitlin's been to Wilman's Head a few times and seen, <laughs> seen the sites. Yes, I've been to- I have yet to visit them. We're definitely going. Hopefully at some point I will. We're definitely going. Yay. <laughs> um, so back in 2011, the first time that we went, we went to so many different locations and we found the road where this scene was filmed. Let me tell you, it was a long, Ooh. long road of nothing. It was really, we went, obviously, during the daytime. Thank God it wasn't at night, or even approaching night, because it would have been really creepy. It was a long road of nothing. We were on that road. I think we drove down it at least, like, a half hour to find that point. Wow. Yes. So, Peyton literally was in the middle of nowhere, So, she was in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Far, far away from actual you know, Wilmington and where most of the scenes were filmed. You're down this long road and then suddenly it clears and you see the water. I think it's yeah. a really scenic shot. I just love the scene. This is one of my favorite scenes, honestly, of the whole pilot, if not my favorite. So did you find the exact location where yeah, this found- happened? Yep, I took a picture. So how did you figure out, like, okay, this is the I don't place? Know. Did you just, like, compare screenshots? Many, yeah, we did compare pictures, but many people had research the location so we were able to do some digging online of where this stuff was okay that's awesome one of my favorite scenes because i i just love the chemistry between them and i feel like it reveals a little bit more about peyton lucas actually comes out and asks her why are you a cheerleader (laughs) i think that's funny like you're the least cheery person i know yeah literally why is she a cheerleader that's a big question yeah, and he's trying to engage with her. She's yeah. like, that's me inside your head. And he, he tries to sing the lyrics, and she's like, I, I know the song, okay? <laughs> like, she's just, like, not putting up with his shit whatsoever. She she's a little bit resistant. Yeah, she doesn't want anything to do with him. And then this comes back to our beginning introductions. First of all, <laughs> you don't know me. Second of all, you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> God, why are guys such jerks? <laughs> and then also in that scene, Lucas starts to open up to her. And he tells her about, like, when he was a kid and he was on the basketball team with Nathan. And he ended up leaving because he didn't want his mom to have to deal with seeing Dan and Nathan. Because it was just like this giant reminder of, of everything. So I feel like Lucas has a vulnerable moment. And she even says, like, he's kind of an ass. <laughs> yeah. So she even knows him, too. Which, you know, this is just like a little side tangent right here. Um, to just show that um, that Peyton does know Dan, and she's aware of him. Can we just, like, give a shout-out to the one scene where um, Nathan's in the shower, has a conversation with Dan, and then Peyton just walks out casually. She's like, hi, Mr. Scott. <laughs> that scene makes me laugh every time. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a surprise that she comes out of the shower, too. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And also, was that Um, scene necessary? (laughs) I feel like that sets up some of the issues that we have with... Yeah, 
you're over-sexualizing yeah, women a little bit. And also, it's kind of out of character for Peyton, too, I feel like. You know, because no one will really know about Peyton. Would she Would she do something like that? Just walk out with a towel wrapped around her? Like, Hi, Mr. Scott, what's up? Yeah. That's the only time we ever see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> only time ever. It's, you know, regardless of how, like, problematic it could be, though, it still makes me laugh. And, but I will address that, yeah, it is it's, slightly it's funny, problematic. It's but I don't know if it's necessary. Yeah, definitely not. Because I don't think it really builds her character at all. Not so at all. So it's just a little gratuitous, but. But back to the scene with Lucas and Peyton, though. Another one of my favorite dialogue exchanges with Peyton is when Lucas is like, is there something that you thought you would be better at than anyone else? And Peyton's just like, Sex. <laughs> That is in line with what Peyton would say. That that's that is true. She's clearly joking. That's yeah. meant to be funny. <laughs> like she's a jokester. She's just she's a smart ass, and I really yeah. enjoy seeing her. Yeah. Hillary Burton, just God bless her. I love her. So we've touched on a few of the like love relationships, familial relationships. There are also a lot of friendships, specifically on the River Court. You see Lucas interacting with Skills, Mouth, Jimmy, Fergie, and Junk. I don't think all of their names are introduced in the pilot. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so but either. Those so are their names. Apologize if we're spoiling <laughs> the names of characters. But you get the point. <laughs> I feel like they add to the fun energy of the River Court. Because you see Jimmy and Mouth narrating everything that's going on. And then Fergie, Skills junk they're playing on the court with lucas there's some like light teasing going on specifically in the beginning of the episode where junk is talking to um jimmy edwards i don't even think they, do they call him jimmy edwards yeah they call him jimmy i don't know if they mentioned edwards whatever his name's so. jimmy edwards sorry <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like junk is saying like oh could you use a you could use a bar of soap and, you know, that's when, like, um, he smells himself, and he's like, oh, do I smell? <laughs> you know, so there's lots of, like, lights teasing going on. And also, I love the part on the court where Skills is talking to Lucas, and he says, so, what you reading, man? <laughs> that That's when he reveals that he was reading uh, Winter of Discontent, and that's when Skills is like, yeah, you know I'm reading vicariously through you. <laughs> it's just, I think that's just adorable that, like, there's a bunch of um, men handing out on the basketball court talking about literature, and I just think it's so precious. So we have our first literary reference. <laughs> Whoa, tell <laughs> us about it, Caitlin. In this episode. So The Winter of Our Discontent by Steinbeck. I attempted to read it for this episode. <laughs> I have had a copy of this book from a used bookstore for literally like a decade because of One Tree Hill, and I have yet to read it. <laughs> For those I... listeners, Caitlin is now showing me her yes. copy right now. <laughs> Here you go. She's like, I have had this book for a long time. Yep. I've had it for a long time. And I could not get through it. I'm sorry, Steinbeck. I, I just could not. I've read other Steinbeck novels, but this one I just could not get into. I got maybe like 100 pages in, and, or almost 100 <laughs> pages in, and I just couldn't do it. But Yeah, before we started recording, Caitlin um, texted me, and she was like... I tried reading The Winter of Our Discontent. I, I just can't. <laughs> but you did pull out some things from it, though. Hey, life is right. too short to read books that you just got into. <laughs> I fully, fully believe that. But yes, I feel like there was some connection to what happened in One Tree Hill. Very loosely, but I think there was. I think they were trying to play off the word discontent. In the title. Honestly, I think that was the biggest reason probably why they chose it, because really, there isn't too much that relates. But basically, I won't get into details, but basically at the beginning of the book, the main character is really discontent. He's not happy with his life. He kind of feels pressured by all these people. Wait, is he he discontent in the winter? This, it actually starts in the spring. Forgive me, I was trying to make a joke. Keep going. <laughs> so We're gonna leave that in. <laughs> so, go Ethan ahead. is discontent. There used to be a family fortune, but then it was lost. Now he is working at a grocery store as a clerk, and he's not happy with his life. His wife wants more, his kids want more. 
He's not happy working there. Blah, blah, blah. So early in the book, actually on, on page 19 in my copy, there are a few lines that kind of resonated with me. I kind of see this man at a crossroads, which is a bit similar to how Lucas is at a crossroads in this episode, because he's trying to decide if he wants to be on the team or not. And that that's really the biggest conflict in the pilot. That's what sets off this okay. whole show. So in the book, this man is also kind of at a crossroads. He's not happy with his life. And in a conversation, there are a few things that are said that I think resonate here. One of the characters says to the main character, whose name's Ethan, he says, risk isn't loss. And I think that's interesting because Lucas, he has to make make a choice here. And it, it's a risk to join the team. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Is he going to form a relationship with his brother? Is this going to make things worse for him and also for his mom? But I think you can look at it as risk doesn't have to be seen as lost. You might be able to gain something from it. And then there was another quote, which I thought was funny because they used the word brooding. (laughs) So so there's another character talking to the main character and he says, you're brooding on something past. You've got to scrape up some courage. Some daring, which I think definitely relates to Lucas. Okay. He has to gain some courage, which in the end we find out he does. He does have courage to to join the team and see what it might offer him. So those are my very loose connections to the book. I think mainly they're just playing off of that discontent. I think a lot of the characters at the start of the show, at the start of the episode, are discontent with their lives. Something Mm -hmm. needs to change. And now this is where the series begins, where those changes are made. Boom. That's my analysis. Yeah. And what you said earlier about it, you, you said it's about a man who's just like, you know, discontent with his life. I feel like that could also be applied to Nathan as well. And yeah. I mean, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. You read the book. I didn't. I read part um, of the book. Yeah. <laughs> You read more than I did, so... But yeah, like, you know, Nathan's obviously not happy with his life, too, so I feel like it could be argued, too, that he's at a crossroads as well. Would you agree I, with that? Or? I think he is. He's not happy. He doesn't know whether to follow, like, his dad's orders, in a way. His dad's just demanding so much of him. Nathan's clearly not happy. And I think he doesn't know how to react to his dad and, and what to do. Maybe if you read the end of the book, there would have been like a basketball game. Yeah, maybe. That's what- <laughs> a lot of a lot of broody teenagers. Who knows? I tried, guys. I tried. If you have read The Winter of Our Discontent from beginning to end, and if you want to extrapolate more references, feel free to email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. I would love that. Okay, so we talked a lot about the teen characters on the show. Now, let's talk a little bit more about some of the adult relationships. One of the things I've always loved about One Tree Hill is that they do a great job of making the the parents on the show not feel like props. And I also refer to the characters by I refer to the parent characters by names. Like I don't call um Karen Lucas's mom. I call her Karen. And I feel like other shows, like if I watch like Dawson's Creek or something like that, I'd be like, oh, Dawson's dad, Dawson's mom. But this is the one show where I'm like, I actually know the parent characters' names. I would say that these characters are just as important as the teenage characters. Absolutely. Let's talk about that's the one scene between Karen and Dan. I love it. She went in there, <laughs> guns a blazing. She yelled at him and he deserved it. How dare you? Yeah. How I just love that. How in the world does he expect to not be a part of Lucas's life and then suddenly he wants to have a say if he's gonna be on the basketball team? Yeah, now Are he's like, kidding? Don't steal the thunder from the sun I raise, which is terrible. What a shitty, shitty guy. He deserved Karen yelling, and she did a fantastic job. I gotta say, Karen Rowe is the only Karen who deserves rights. (laughs) Hopefully that cultural reference is not outdated by the time this episode goes live. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it'll be relevant forever. Yep. Also, fun fact about that scene, that was the scene that Moira Kelly auditioned with. Oh, 
Really? Yeah, she's like this really nice, warm person, but at the same time, she's not going to put up with bullshit from other people who try to tear her son down, Mm -hmm. or tear down the people she loves, like, at all. So I feel like that's automatically establishing who she is from the get-go. And I give her credit for staying in Tree Hill, honestly. That must have been so hard. And then, in contrast, we see Karen and Keith. Keith is Dan's older brother, and he is lovely. (laughs) In comparison- It's about lightly. He is lovely. (laughs) (laughs) You have to love Keith. He's just so much better than Dan. And you see that immediately. Ironically, it feels like they spent so much time together. Karen and Keith only have one scene together in this episode. I know, that's surprising. Yeah, but then you you see the scene earlier in the episode with Keith and Lucas, where Keith is talking about how Lucas has a gift and he should be showing it off on a, on a basketball court with people watching. And Keith tries to tell Lucas to show off his gift because he remembers seeing a basketball game as a kid, and he describes seeing somebody play as poetry. And then later on in the episode, when he's with Karen... He says the same thing about seeing Lucas play. He says, oh, it's like poetry. I just think that shows how highly he thinks of his nephew. All right, so the climax of the episode is the basketball game between the two half-brothers. Nathan challenges Lucas to a game. If Nathan wins, Lucas doesn't join the team. If Nathan loses, then Lucas can join the team, and Nathan has to leave. So then it ends up being revealed that even if Lucas does win, Nathan can stay on the team. But because originally we are led to believe that Lucas and Nathan made a deal about dating or not dating Peyton. Like they were offering her up as a prize. I don't understand And then that that didn't even end up being what it actually was. Nathan just like lied to Peyton about that. What the heck is that about? why? Why, though? Another detail that why did that need to be in there? Yeah. And also, too, like, hella problematic. Peyton just accepts that. And Peyton's cheering for, you know, she's cheering for Nathan. Like, woo! And I'm like, you're really cheering for your boyfriend who offered you up as a prize to be one? Which, that definitely just shows you, like, who the show was written by. How, like, you know, any woman, any any human in general, I don't even think it's necessarily a gender thing, would be okay with something like this. It, it also just shows... How much of a jerk Nathan is, because why would he want to lead his girlfriend to believe that? What Was yeah. it some kind of test or something? I don't know. Because in the <laughs> end, it's just a lie, and the truth is actually fine. Nathan ends up being on the team. So what's... Yeah, so why did Nathan even say that at all? And how did Nathan even know that there was something going on between Lucas and Peyton? There, nothing is even going on between them, but, like, how does he even know that they've talked, you know? And, um, there's also, like, the scene earlier when Nathan challenges Lucas, and he says, like, the team doesn't want you, my dad doesn't want you, my girlfriend doesn't mm-hmm. want you. And I'm like, what made you think th- there was even a uh, thing. thing going on? Yeah, like, obviously, like, we the audience knows, but I'm talking about, like, how, like, how the episode is written and whatnot. How do they know these things about each other? I agree. It doesn't make any sense. So... So it's a little bit uneven as far as that's concerned. The pilot's great in other ways, but that whole thing, because I, I was rewatching this, so I'm like, wait a minute, how does how does Nathan even know that Peyton and Lucas have been talking? <laughs> have they even talked at that point in the episode? I think they had. Okay. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't make it <laughs> Let's not make think a too lot much about that. It's definitely a plot hole. <laughs> yes. This is a great scene, the basketball game. It's so intense. And it really mm-hmm. culminates the whole the whole episode. And you really wonder who's going to win. Like, it's not clear who it will be. I love that it was yeah. Lucas. Because that really kind of puts Nathan in his place. Maybe we'll put things in perspective a little bit for him. Hopefully. That he's just not the greatest. He doesn't deserve everything. And we're led to believe he's the star of the basketball mm-hmm. team, too. And, like, this is, like, one of the first times somebody actually beat him. Yeah. So now he realizes, like, I should stop being so arrogant, because there are people who are better than me. So at the very end of the basketball game, love this scene. They're all dispersing, because the game's over, Lucas has won, and Lucas and Peyton make eye contact, and Lucas says, I'll be seeing you. And he turns around, and just, oh my gosh, my heart throbs, like, I just... I love it. I love it. So that really shows that there's something going on. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, they will be seeing each other. Then that is all we're gonna say as far as that's concerned. Alright, now is the part of the show where we talk about some of our favorite moments. So, Caitlin, what would you say was your favorite quote? I love the ending quote. I have to okay. say that I love Lucas's voiceovers. So, yes. so, so, so much. Absolutely love them. And this, I think, is just an excellent start to the whole show. So, yes. here is the C- Julius Caesar quote. There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune, omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves, or lose our ventures. I think it's a pretty powerful quote to end the episode with. So once again, this is really coming back to like this crossroads that Lucas is kind of... He, he made ultimately made the decision at the end to join the team. But the whole episode is him deciding what to do. And I feel like the flood in this Julius Caesar quote refers to like your fortune or the good times in your life versus the shallow. Shallow water would be your time of misery or discontent in a way. So the sea, I think, represents like that good fortune in your life. Making that choice to kind of take advantage of the flood. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. I feel like I was just (laughs) winging that there. All right. (laughs) Well, that was like a very like thoughtful analysis. Um, (laughs) In comparison, my favorite quote is I'll be seeing you. And then then that one too. (laughs) Which I think it's just, you know, we were obviously squealing about it. There's... That quote sets up so much, and that's all we can say, because this is a spoiler-free segment. It's just really iconic. This show is really crazy with its foreshadowing and its um, references to future events. That That's why we have to have a spoiler segment at the end of every episode, because we just have to talk more about it. Yeah. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, that I had written down as one of my favorite quotes, too. But my more serious one was the Julius Caesar, and then my less serious <laughs> one was obviously in you. But I absolutely <laughs> <Gosh>. love it. <laughs> that establishes our dynamic, too, because you'll be the serious one, and I will be the... <laughs> I'm going to be the one who's going to yell about things, like, yeah, I'll be seeing you, Lou! <laughs> so what about your favorite song, then? My favorite song is um, Hands Down by Dashboard Confessional which is the scene that ends the cold open. I just love it. It's a high-energy song, which is, you know, it kicks off the... It doesn't kick off the pilot. It's like, I think it's like the second song of the pilot. But I feel like it also establishes the relationship between Nathan and Lucas as well. Um, The lyrics are, My hopes are so high that your kiss might kill me. That just shows that Nathan's a little bit arrogant. Meanwhile, there's Lucas, who is having his own high hopes after colliding with Peyton right there. Also, too, like, you know, everything else that goes on that scene, the um, the words are, hush, let's not get busted. And that just shows, like, you know, Nathan is worried about getting busted because, you know, literally the cops are there yep. as they are about to collide with a train with the school bus. And then I feel like there's Lucas, who's, like, literally getting, he's getting busted out of this outsider lifestyle the second he sees Peyton. Because that's what ends up happening. He ends up joining the basketball team, and now he's no longer the outsider, so... In a way, both of these characters are busted, just in different contexts. I love how you dissected the lyrics. I <laughs> I didn't do that for my song, but... I could be smart, too. <laughs> hands down was my honorable mention, because I feel like I'm going to okay. have to have an honorable mention, because I can't just choose one. But my It's impossible to choose just one song. And and I have to say, rewatching the pilot this time around and really paying close attention, I didn't realize how good the music was in the pilot. There are so many songs... That I really liked, and some that I didn't even notice before. <laughs> are you going to talk about Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet? <laughs> I had no idea that song was there. I had no idea that song was that old. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that one, and then, that isn't my favorite, but there yeah. was, let's see, what was the song? Oh, Your Boyfriend Sucks. <laughs> that was really fun. That's a good that's one. That's on point with how crappy of a boyfriend Nathan is. 
and Nathan even shuts off that particular song, too. So he's particularly saying, like, oh, like, yep. I don't suck. That illustrates his arrogance in a very subtle way. Yeah, definitely. That was on point. But my favorite song of the episode is the very first one, Drift by 40 Foot Echo. I just love, mm. I love, I didn't dissect the lyrics, but I just love how it starts the episode. <laughs> Once again, it's so high energy. And I think it fits perfectly with the two basketball scenes and flipping between those two. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of builds the intensity of what's to come. So I, I enjoy yeah. that one the most. But hands down, it's definitely my honorable mention, and I enjoyed many of the others as well. I can't believe One Tree Hill never had a musical episode. <laughs> you know, right? Because the music is so iconic in this show that sometimes you just, I feel like I forget that it's not a musical show. <laughs> I know. But they play so well with the scenes. Uh, okay, overall, what would you say is your rating for the episode? Three out of five broody teenagers. Ooh, three out of five. Okay. I like the pilot. I have a greater appreciation for the pilot, but there are so many better episodes of the show, I think. Oh, absolutely. Pilot doesn't really... I think of TV show pilots, and it's not one that stands out in my mind as one of the best. And I think it's hard, honestly, to have a really good pilot. Oh, yeah, because you have to establish so much background and also be yeah. a little bit plot-heavy. I think it does a good job. I think, yeah, overall, it does a good job. It serves its purpose, but there's so many. It's not one of my favorite episodes of One Tree Hill. Oh, definitely not. So my particular rating, I give it four out of five nipple rings. Because <laughs> just like what you said, it's not an amazing episode. And as I said earlier, there's not a lot going on storyline wise but the backstory that's established with all these characters it makes me want to stick around in the world a little bit more but i'll admit too like even back then when i was watching it like and i had the dvds at that point so i'm like okay like i'm i told my friend i'd watch it i might as well continue watching it so i watched the pilot i wasn't necessarily as invested but i was fascinated and i definitely want to keep going with the show at that point so that's the only reason why it doesn't get a full five out of five for me I am really excited to discuss this show with you. And I'm really excited to rewatch the show with you after all these years. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHPod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHPod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. You can follow Caitlin Illinich on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans, new and old, find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll, we'll be, be seeing, seeing ya. ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. Once again, if you do not wish to have the series spoiled for you, consider this your final warning. Turn off this podcast now. So, Caitlin, the one thing I just gotta say is, it's so funny that One Tree Hill is able to keep up the concept of two half-brothers playing basketball for nine whole seasons. (laughs) It's just really amazing. (laughs) That they do that. <laughs> Am I right? You're so right. <laughs> In case you didn't get that, that was sarcasm right there. This concept is not held up for the entire series. Sizzles out over time. As a matter of fact, I like to think of One Tree Hill as... How many? One, two, three. I like to think of it as four separate series. I think seasons one through four, that's one TV show. Seasons five and six, a totally different show. Yeah. Seven and eight, another one. And season season nine, I feel like is a it's like a revival series of like all of the other seasons combined. I had never thought of it like that. That's kind of true. You know what I mean? Because season uh, nine does kind of stand a little by itself. Yeah, season nine's like a shorter season too, and I like to think of you know revivals. Revival seasons are now like a popular thing nowadays on TV, and I feel like season nine did that before it was a trend. Even though know? it wasn't a revival, but. It wasn't at all. It was a continuation, like, <laughs> just a few months after season but eight it, ended. it was like, so weird to have it as 13 episodes, because mm-hmm. you're used to long seasons with One Tree Hill. Except for the year of the writer's strike, but that still was longer than 13 episodes. 
Exactly. I kind of like that about the show, though, is I feel like the show constantly reinvents itself. Because I feel like, you know, seasons one through four, you could just enjoy those four seasons of the show. And that's it. You could be like, oh, that's my show. I love that show. And then you can have a completely different experience when you watch the other chunks of seasons. And then once Peyton and Lucas leave, you do, you don't think you will, but you do end up loving the the new characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, Quinn and Clay. I can't yeah. wait to start talking about that. It's gonna be it's gonna be a while, Jeremy. <laughs> That's a long way off. <laughs> What'd you say? I said it's gonna be a while. <laughs> They're so great. Mm-hmm. Outside of that though, um, let's talk about how we decided on the name for our podcast. We were touring toying around with a lot of different names, but always and forever, I feel like it encapsulates what we love about the show. We are always mm-hmm. going to love it. But at the same time, we want to bring some criticism to to the table and, and discuss that. Yeah. Always and forever, for those of you who have watched the whole series, that is a famous line that Nathan and Haley say to each other. That's like their thing. Yup, they say it during their teen wedding, which... <laughs> if you could see Jerry's face right now... <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> that's that's a whole not, like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take up time by talking about it in this episode but yeah let's not go down that rabbit hole we right will <laughs> but yeah what were some other names that we toyed around with there was um sometimes all you need is one podcast yeah. which is we thought was too long clever but too long and then yeah. your matters which apparently already exists but in a different form oh god that really made me mad because I feel like that would have been a cool title for it, saying, like, oh, your art matters. We're trying to say, like, oh, the show matters, so, like, hey, the show is art, it still matters, even though it's kind of problematic. But yeah, it already existed. We just had to change it, and then... I forget who came up with, like, the idea, like, always and forever, but... You did. It was one. Oh, it was me. Oh, <laughs> cool, look at me. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what we ultimately decided. And... As far as the other references are concerned, in our intro, uh, somebody told me that this is a place where everything's better and everything's safe. That is a reference to a sign that's in Karen's Cafe, which I don't think is revealed until season five. No. Are you sure? That's the first reference I remember actually seeing it. No, it's it's gotta be in there before. Because I, I remember Brooke being like, that has to stay there. Because at that point, Brooke closes, she doesn't close down Karen's Cafe, but she takes over the building and turns it into a closed-over bros and store. And also, you know that's a lyric from a song. I think- Yeah, walk, it's a song that Haley sings on later on, Walk on the Ocean on, right? by, um, ugh. I can't remember. Oh, that's a reference to a lyric? Yeah. Let me look it up. Oh, I know. I think it's it's seasons eight or nine. Haley sings that song, but like, that's a cover? There are covers. I think the original, kind of a weird name, Toad the Wet Sprocket. That's the band. Oh, when did the song come out? 1991. But there, I think, oh. there's, I think a John Mayer cover of that song. Oh, wow. I didn't see, We're I didn't even know that. That's fascinating. the ocean. So it's okay. So it's a reference to an actual song. Yeah, John Mayer covered it, but I think that's the original's "Toad the Wet Sprocket." Wow, that's interesting. So maybe maybe you're right because we I don't know. I feel like we saw it. We're gonna have to look carefully at Karen's Cafe. Yeah, we'll do some deep yeah. dive, and we'll be like, oh, "There it is! There it is!" But we'll, also, <laughs> we'll just pay fun fact: to I love that saying, and I gave it a sign with that. Uh, to my best friend for her wedding gift. Aww. I, I remember you saying that, actually. That's yeah. awesome. Um, Shout out to too, my I BFF. Like I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Uh, but anyway, the other thing I liked about the quote, too, is I feel like it also encapsulated the community I think we wanted to create with this podcast as well. We wanted this to be a safe space where... You could both love One Tree Hill and be critical of it, and realize that you could still love problematic material. I just want to interact with everybody, too, so say hi to us on our socials, please. Give us some love. <laughs> yes, we've been, we've been talking about this show and so many other shows over dinners for years now. 
And now we just decided to take those dinner conversations pretty much and put them in a podcast. <laughs> it's almost a shame that we haven't, like, been recorded ourselves. We would have gone through Jane the Virgin. What else? Would- There's so many shows. <laughs> but yeah, the show's oh. been over for almost a decade, though, and we still continue to talk about it. So yeah. now it's just like we're just showcasing it to the general audience now. Definitely. Let's touch very briefly on some of the foreshadowing that happens in this episode one thing not really foreshadowing but it is a character that's introduced who is sort of minor in season one but then becomes a bigger player jimmy edwards yeah he's only in like two episodes in season one and then he comes back in season three and we give him a backstory where all of his friends ditched him and that is ultimately the catalyst for him bringing a gun to school and setting a bunch of other events in motion that's gonna be a tough episode to talk about, but I'm looking forward to talking about oh, that yeah. one. That's gonna be a long episode. Um, yeah. What I find interesting about Jimmy Edwards, he's hardly in any episodes, and then he comes back. I really wonder if they intentionally did that, or it just worked out perfectly. Like, they had this character that was friends with the group, and now he's kind of became an outcast. You never see him. And now it's pretty convenient that he then became that character, but... Yeah, and his performance is absolutely amazing. I can't believe that they would know that that far in advance. Yeah, I actually have the answer to that, because um, I watched the audio commentary for this episode, and Mark Schwann sort of dismisses Colin Fickus, who plays Jimmy. He sort of dismisses him, and he's like, oh, he... He disappeared after just a few episodes. His character just didn't work out, and, you know, they had to uh, shrink the cast of characters a little bit. And I don't know, like, what was the catalyst for bringing him back in season three, but, you know, who knows? He may have had, like, a good relationship with Mark Schwann at that point, and they just decided to bring him back. It's also interesting, because in season two, they bring all these new characters in. Exactly, which, that's... Who knows? That's a whole nother episode. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like how they brought him in, though. It's like, oh, this character, like, don't even remember, (laughs) you know? When Jimmy first comes back, I remember seeing him previously on for those episodes and being like, oh, I don't remember this guy. Because he's such a background character in this one. And it's kind of funny, like, rewatching and knowing what's to come. Yeah, I agree with you. And then mm-hmm. some of the other, like, side characters in this episode, Mouth and Skills. They become they, bigger players yeah, eventually. They, they kind of, throughout the series, they're kind of in and out as bigger characters. Like, certain seasons they have more airtime, and then other seasons they don't, and... I'd say more so skills than math. Math is pretty consistent, but I feel like it still takes a bit for him to get, at least till season... I don't I don't really remember him having much of storylines in season one. His first big episode in season one is the Boy Toy Auction. Um, that's the episode where he actually has, like, he has a storyline. Yeah. That and sounds right. I love that episode. Um, Mouth is kind of problematic in his depictions. I remember back then, back when I was younger, I was ro- I was always rooting for Mouth. Like, he just needs to get the girl. I feel so bad for him. And nowadays I look at him and he's like, what an entitled jerk. That's something that I had never really picked up on before. Yeah, and I'm I'm noticing it too because I've been, I've also been rewatching some like specific scenes on YouTube, and that's also very telling too that um. Mark Schwann based mouth on himself, too, and that's very telling. Oh my gosh, how did you know that? Yeah, I've read that in so many different interviews, so many audio Get commentaries. Get out of town! Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's just very telling to show that, like, he obviously sees himself as, like, this entitled person who deserves, like, attention from women. Oh gosh, alright, more on that later. Z- <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, best of all, I love Leighton. Love Leighton so much, so so much, and the pilot. It's such an iconic story. I feel like I'm going to be saying this word too much. Iconic, but it's true. (laughs) This pilot episode has iconic Leighton scenes. I'll be seeing you, and then when Lucas is towing the car. First of all, you don't know me. Second of all. You don't know me. That's Peyton. These quotes are repeated so much. And that's what this show does. They repeat quotes so much. And it's me inside your head. Is that repeated? Uh, I don't know if that's repeated, but that's a famous... I don't know if that's ever repeated. (laughs) 
<laughs> it just means something to you. That's cool. It's just cute. <laughs> it's just a cute, cute scene. That's, that's really all I have to say about it. But I will say this, and we'll get to it even much later in the series, but there's this flashback in season three, and I know my best friend knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I used Which one? It was a Peyton and Lucas flashback. Where Peyton is thinking back to like all these moments with Lucas, and I, uh, I know which one you're I about. used to rewatch that flashback. I would search it on YouTube, and I would rewatch that flashback over and over Aww. and over and over again. And you know these scenes, I'll be seeing you and the car towing. I think both of them were in it. It's just yeah, oh, I love it. Oh, so much. It's so classic. So if you didn't get it already. I am a Leighton fan. That is my favorite couple on the show. Yes. There's a lot to unpack about Lucas cheating on Brooke. Oh, yeah. But that's a whole nother... <laughs> that's a whole nother discussion. And oh my we'll god, get to that can, soon. How weird is it that Brooke is not in this episode? I don't know. Personally, though, I don't know where she would have fit in. So in a way, it makes sense. Like, H- Haley's role wasn't that important either. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like in this show, too, like, especially the um, the female characters specifically, they are, um, they're more pushed toward the front, I feel like, as the series goes on. And I think I just said Haley's not important in this show. I meant this episode, if I said that. <laughs> Obviously, Haley is important, and I love Haley to death, but in this particular episode, no. Oh, no, Caitlin, you're gonna be canceled. <laughs> be like- she said the Haley isn't important. <laughs> oh my god, the Naley fans will be after me. <laughs> oh, the Naley fa- I feel like the Naley fans are the most <laughs> vocal. I remember there was one um, website, it was called daretomove.net. That was like a really popular Nathan and Haley really? fan site. And people, I yeah, I remember there was like pictures and everything like that, <laughs> episode recaps. Like it was like, that was a bananas website. Like, the friend who introduced me to One Tree Hill, actually, she had that website as her home screen. She loved Nathan yeah. and Haley. <laughs> so, that's what I mean, shows you I, right I love Nathan and Haley, too. But, like, I'm all for the Starcross lovers, and that's Layton. I always will like the Starcross lovers. Like, oh, the tragic definitely. love story. Love it! I made sh- Okay, so, back when I originally watched it, I felt this way. I might change it as I watch it in my- with my current worldview. I like Brooke and Lucas together. Yeah, I know you did. But who knows? I may change my viewpoint as the series goes on. We'll see about that. I didn't hate them together. I'll tell you that. Yeah, there's a lot of like toxic elements to their relationship, but I'm sure I'll notice more, though, as we go on now and start to root more for Lucas and Peyton together. I am excited for next week. Yeah, and next week we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 2, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. According to our old One Tree Hill DVD sets, this episode is when Lucas plays his first game as a Tree Hill Raven and chokes. He isn't the only one confronting insecurities. Peyton can't find the courage to submit her drawings for publication. We'll be seeing ya.